if you would, look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. Lord willing, we're going to look today at this entire chapter. First, looking at this subject, David recovered all. Now, before we get to chapter 30, you have to understand what has happened leading up to this point. Back in chapter 26, David had been delivered from Saul. Saul actually said, David, I'm going home. I'm not going to look for you anymore. And at the start of chapter 27, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David didn't do this alone. David arose and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. David said in his own heart, I'm going to leave here in Judah. And I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. That's the thing to do. That's the safe thing for me to do. Now David had been abroad, and the prophet Nathan came to David and said, Don't you bide here in the hold anymore. You get yourself back to the land of Judah. That's where God told him to go. God never told him to leave Judah. David left Judah because he said in his own heart, This is the thing for me to do. And while he's there, he becomes friends with this man Achish. He's the king of the Philistines. David even makes himself subservient to Achish, this heathen king. And this heathen king gives David and his men the city Ziklag to live in. Now even in David's rebellion, the Lord's will will be done. The Lord even oversaw this for his will to be done. Many, 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 many years ago, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, Joshua gave the city Ziklag to the tribe of Judah. They never possessed it until now. That heathen king had no idea what he was doing, but he accomplished God's will, and he gave that city to David, who was the tribe of Judah. And Judah had that city from then on. And for 18 months... David lived in that city of Ziklag, subservient to the king of the Philistines. Eighteen months David lived in faithless rebellion. Till the point comes in chapter 29, David finds himself riding out, he and his men riding out with Achish, with the Philistine army to attack Israel. David said in his own heart, the thing for me to do is leave Judah and go to the land of the Philistines. And that compromise led to the point David was with the army of the heathen to attack God's people. You reckon, as David's riding out to battle, he thought, how in this world did I get here? Mm. And in his mercy, the Lord delivered David from that trial. He delivered him from having to take up arms against his brethren because he, the Lord made those Philistine lords tell Achish, we're not going into battle with David against Israel. Do you know who this fellow is? 
He's the one they sang them songs about. Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. Those ten thousands were us. They're our brothers. They're our sons. They're, they're our people. We're not going into battle against Israel with this man. He's going to come up and attack us from behind, and that's how he's going to get himself back in the good graces of Saul. And David argued with him. And Achish said, no, David, you go home. We can't have this. You go home. The Lord delivered David from that whole mess. Now we come to chapter 30. David's going back home to Ziklag. And what I want us to see here this morning is David as a picture of the two Adams. David's first, we'll see him as the picture of the first Adam who sinned and brought death and sin upon every man. Then we'll see David as a picture of the second Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ who delivered his people from sin, death, and hell. <clears throat> so let's look here in chapter 30, verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. But David and his men return home to Ziklag, and they find the city destroyed. It's burned to the ground. Everything is gone. Their wives and their children are gone, and they probably assumed their families were either dead or soon would be dead. You know how suddenly our world changes because of sin. I would imagine this was a three-day march from where the Philistine army was back to Ziklag. Those three days, David was so happy. This, the weight of the world was off of his shoulders. The Lord had delivered him from bringing reproach upon the name of the Lord and you know, by him fighting with the Philistines against Israel. He's in such a good mood. He's going home. And they come over a rise, and suddenly, in an instant, everything's different. The city's in ashes, burned to the ground. Janet says often, everything's okay till it's not. Everything's okay till it's not. And can you imagine the picture that they saw? Their homes are in ashes. I imagine smoke still in the air. All form of civilization is gone. There's no food to eat. There's nothing profitable there, nothing useful to be found. All the life is gone. The women and children are gone. Even the livestock, they're all gone. And they can't stay there because there's no life there. There's nothing to support life there. Everything's ruined. It's all in ruins. Now, why did this happen? All this happened as a direct result of David's disobedience. If David had never reasoned in his own heart and left Judah, none of this would have happened. If David had just stayed in Ziklag, if he just didn't keep making the situation worse, if he just stayed in Ziklag and not left that, that place and not gone out to war against Israel with the Philistine army, none of this would have happened. David would have been there to protect the city when the Amalekites came. All this death, this destruction, this loss is all a direct result of David's faithless disobedience. And can you imagine the horror that was in the, these, the hearts of these men. Just the horror. I mean, imagine coming home one day 
your house is burned to the ground, your family's gone, you assume they're dead. I, the horror. How much more horror, I mean absolute horror, should we feel as the result of our sin? This scene is a picture of the misery and ruin that sin has left us in. Everywhere you look in us, all you see is spiritual deadness. There's nothing but ashes. There's nothing spiritually profitable to be found. There's nothing spiritually useful to be found in us. We're ruined by the fall. Now in our story, the women and children are not killed. They were taken as slaves because they're much more profitable as slaves rather than if they just killed them. So that does leave some hope for rescue for those women and children, doesn't it? But those women and children are not going to set themselves free. They're not strong enough to set themselves free. If they're going to be set free, someone else is going to have to save them. Now in our case, we are dead. We're spiritually dead. It's not just that we're taken captives and we have life, we have some hope of escape. We're dead. And because we're dead, there's no escaping. We have no ability to escape. A dead man not only is unable to do anything, he's unwilling to do anything. Jackie's dead. He's not only unable, he's unwilling. Look over Romans chapter 3. You know, I can't paint this picture of our sin and our nature and our condition black enough. But here God's word describes our condition. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. Add us all together. I mean, all together, we're still unprofitable. You know why? This is a mathematical fact. Zero plus zero is zero. You add us up all together, we're zero. We're all together unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. It's just an open grave. With their tongues they've used to seat. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why is that? Because we're dead. We are spiritually dead. Now, how did this happen to us? How is it that this became a description of you and me by nature? How is it that we became dead and lost in sin? Because of our father Adam. All this that happened to David and his men was a result of David's disobedience. All this that's happened to us is a result of our father Adam's disobedience. If you'll turn over a page to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, I'll show you that. This is a direct result of Adam's disobedience. In verse 12, Wherefore is by one man, by Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that for that all have sinned, literally translated is, in whom? All sin. In Adam, all sin. That's original sin. Because of one man, all the rest of us who descended from him became dead. We became sinners and sold under sin. We became guilty because in him, 
we sinned. We became enslaved by the law. And we are unable to keep that law that enslaves us. We're unable because we're born with a sin nature that's contrary to God and contrary to God's law. So just like that dead man, not only are we unable, we're unwilling. We're unwilling to keep God's law because of that sin nature. Look back at Romans chapter 3. Because of that sin nature, look at verse 23. For that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are guilty in Adam and we are guilty in ourselves. And we will never see mercy from God until, until we see all of our righteousness burned to the ground like thick light. We will never see any mercy from God until we see that we are left without any hope, without any possessions, without any ability in ourselves. We'll never see mercy from God until we're brought to that point. And you'll notice that everything David received from King Achish was destroyed, wasn't it? Everything that David received from, from King Achish is what was produced by the arm of the flesh. All that was produced because David reasoned in his own heart, this is what I ought to do. And everything he received as a result of that decision was burned to the ground. Everything that the arm of the flesh ever produces will always end up in dust and ashes. It'll all come to nothing. The only thing lasting is the Lord Jesus Christ and everything in him. We must... We must leave ourselves and go to him. There's no hope in any other. There's nothing lasting in any other. So David and his men, they see their city burned to the ground. In verse 4, David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. They wept until they had no more power to weep. I really can't imagine how heartbroken these men are. I mean, the families that they love are gone. Losing one loved one's hard enough. Can you imagine losing your whole family in one day? Just in one day, they're gone. But boy, that'd be hard to bear. And they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. Just had no more tears left. And that's a picture of true mourning over sin. True mourning. And that's the way we'll mourn if we ever see our sin for what it really is. You see, sin... It's not what we do. Sin is who we are. And true mourning over sin is not being sorry about the results of our sin. All that is, just being sorry about the results of our sin, all that is is being sorry I got caught. If I'm just sorry that God's going to send me to hell, I'm just sorry that I've sinned, and I'm sorry that God's just. That's not mourning over sin. What I'm talking about is true mourning over our sin, over our rebellion against God, mourning over what I am. And I pray that God would make it so this morning, that he'd make someone here truly mourn in a heartbroken fashion, cry till you got no more tears over your sin. Because there's comfort for someone who mourns like that. There's a blessing here for someone who mourns like that. These men are going to receive a blessing because David recovered all. I get ahead of myself, but that's where we're going. Now, verse 5. And David's two wives were taken captives, 
Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. They were taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now every man in David's army, they lost their wives and their children. They lost their homes, all burned to the ground. And they're ready to stone David because they know they would not be in this mess were it not for David's disobedience. They knew David never should have left Judah, and they knew none of this would have happened if David would have just stayed in Judah. And David did what all of us should do every day, but particularly in the day of trial. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And that word encouraged means to make strong. Make strong. He made himself strong in the Lord. The only place we're going to find any encouragement is in the Lord. The only place you'll find any strength is in the Lord. We've got none of our own. There's nothing in ourselves to encourage us, to be encouraged about. And after everything that David had done wrong, Jehovah, the Lord, is still David's God. The Lord, his God. For 18 months, David has not done one blessed thing right. Not one. Not one act of faith in 18 months. But there is forgiveness with thee. The Lord was still his God. And that's such comfort for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. Real sinners. Sinful men and women can encourage themselves in the Lord our God. Because he is the savior of sinners. He's not going to save anybody because we did anything right. He saves people by his mercy and grace. He saves sinners, undeserving people. Now, every man in David's army lost his wives and children. David included. And that's a picture of the fall of Adam. When Adam sinned, Every man, woman, boy, and girl who would ever live on this world was made a sinner. Everyone who descended from Adam would be made a sinner. They all died spiritually. They became sinners because Adam's sin was imputed to them. In him, all have sinned. Everyone died. Everyone fell. Everyone became lost, including God's elect including the bride of God's Son. Now the bride of Christ, those whom he has loved from all of eternity, they fell. They fell into sin, death, and condemnation. And those elect cannot help themselves. They can't. They're dead. They have no ability to please God. They have no desire to please God, just like every other son of Adam. And if we're going to have salvation, we're going to have to do what David does here. We're going to have to seek the Lord. We have to seek Him. We have to beg God for mercy. We have to beg Him for forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. And if we're going to be saved, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, is going to have to come where we are and redeem us from our sins because we cannot do it ourselves. And that's what David's going to have to do here for his people. Look at verse 7. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. 
Now David told Abiathar, he's the high priest, bring hither the ephod. And you remember the ephod is what the priest wore. The high priest wore over his chest. It had those 12 stones of 12 tribes of Israel on it. And it was actually a bag. Inside that bag were two stones, the Urim and the Thummim. And that's what the high priest would use to inquire of the Lord. He asked the Lord, should I do this or should I do this? And then he'd draw a stone out. Whatever stone he drew out, that was his answer from the Lord. And the point here is David sought the Lord. After 18 months, David prayed. He finally sought the Lord. I would imagine if David had prayed 18 months ago, instead of saying in his own heart, if he'd inquired of the Lord 18 months ago, he probably wouldn't be in this mess right now. I don't know about you, but I suspect you're the same as me. I'm my own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. The things that go wrong with me and in my life are my fault. They're just my fault. That's, that, I'm my own worst enemy. And I can't overemphasize enough the importance of prayer, the importance of communing and talking to our Heavenly Father, the importance of going to Him in prayer and asking for forgiveness of sins. Ask for forgiveness. Do you, do you like wisdom? Ask. Have you asked for wisdom? Have you asked for his leadership? I can't overemphasize enough the importance of prayer. And not just going and asking for things. Be thankful. Be ye thankful, Paul said. Thank him in prayer. Thank him for all the who he is and what he's done for you. David probably wouldn't have been in this mess if he had spent more time in prayer. Well, verse 8, David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this truth? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. And David asked the Lord, Shall I pursue the enemy? And the writers say this was done in two questions and two answers. Shall I pursue the enemy? The answer was yes. Well, will I overtake them? And the answer is yes. You pursue them. You, you'll overtake them, and thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now David got that, his marching orders from the Lord. He knew there's no possibility of failure. He's going to recover all. He's going to recover the possessions. He's going to recover the women and children. He's going to recover all. Now David is a picture of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. The first Adam fell. He plunged the whole human race into condemnation, Christ's bride included. And the son asked the father, shall I go after them? And the father said, yes, you go after them. He said, well, will I get them? Will I get them back? Yes. Thou shalt without fail Recover all. Look at Isaiah 42. Our Lord told us this seven or eight hundred years before Christ came. In Isaiah 42, this is the passage of the prophecy of the Messiah. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, and whom my soul delighteth. In verse 4, he shall not fail, nor be discouraged. He will without fail. Recover all. He's going to recover all. The scriptures 
know nothing of this little Jesus, lowercase j, little Jesus, who comes to earth to try to save as many people as he can, as many people who will accept his sacrifice. That little Jesus is a complete and utter failure. He's powerless to save. The first time you hear somebody say, God wants to, shut them off. God doesn't want to do anything. He accomplishes his purpose. If David could only go recover those people who could help themselves and take the first step towards David, he'd be wasting his time. Because if they could help themselves and come join up with David, they wouldn't need David in the first place. Isn't that right? The problem with Armenian theology is that they do not understand that all men are spiritually dead. We're not sick. We're dead. If you don't understand what happened in Genesis chapter 3, you don't understand the rest of the Bible. And there's a lot of pages after Genesis chapter 3. You don't understand the message of any of those pages if you do not understand that when Adam sinned, all men died in Adam. And that means that all men, you and me included, our children included, all men are incapable of accepting Christ. You're wasting your time to try to beg men to accept Christ. No man will come to Christ until God gives them faith and life in him. The scriptures declare the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth and he redeemed all of his people from all of their sins and none of them will ever be lost. Now that's a gospel worth preaching. He's not going to lose any of them. He will without fail recover all that the Father gave to him and that eternal covenant of grace. So David sets out with his marching orders to recover all. And there's a strange interlude here as David goes to recover his wives and the wives and children of his men. In verse 9, so David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. We'll come back to them later today. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat. And they, gave him, they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me, because three days ago and I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God, that thou wilt neither kill me, nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Now what is this? Who is this Egyptian? Well, he's a picture of a sinner. That's true. He's a picture of a sinner. But more than that, he's a picture of a Gentile sinner. You and me, Gentile sinner. David is on his way to deliver a bunch of Jews who've been taken captive. And on his way, he sets a Gentile free too. That's a picture of our Savior. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of Jew and Gentile alike. Sinners from across the whole world. God told Abraham of the Messiah that would come through Abraham's loin. In thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Not just, not just those who are direct descended from you. All nations of the earth shall be blessed in thy seed. He's a savior of sinners from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. And this Egyptian is a picture of us. We're Gentiles. So we better pay, play clo pay close attention to this because there's three pictures of us here in this man. First of all, he's an Egyptian. He is an Egyptian. Now, in Scripture, Egypt is given to us as a picture of sin. And I said this a minute ago, sin is not what we do. Sin is who we are. This fellow didn't just go sojourn in Egypt. That was his nationality. We don't just dabble in sin and commit a few sins. That's our nationality. That's our nature. We're sinners. Secondly, this man is a slave to a heathen. And that's what we are. We're slaves to sin. My pastor tells us so often, you belong to someone. And that's why David asked this man, to whom belongest thou? You either belong to sin, and you're in condemnation of the law, or you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the two. You belong to someone. And the law, if you belong to the law, you know this. The law is a cruel master. Cruel. Just like this man had a cruel master. When you cannot please the law, when you cannot obey the law, you're not just cast out to die. You know, this man became sick, and they just cast him out to die. When you can't please the law, you're put to death. The wages of sin is death. It's a cruel taskmaster. That's us. That's who we belong to by nature. And thirdly, this man was guilty. And he couldn't deny his guilt. I'm an Egyptian. I'm a slave to a heathen, and I took part, David, in the raid against your home. I took part in the raid against your family. I burned your home to the ground. I took your wives captives. I'm guilty. And that's the way you and I are. We're guilty. We're guilty of Adam's sin. We're just like Adam who said, I'll be God. I'll have nobody to rule over me but me. And we rebelled against God. That's who we are. Now, what did David do with this man, this Egyptian slave, sick, unable? What did he do with him? David had mercy on him. He said, David, don't send me back to that cruel master. David said, all right, I won't. Every member of this war party against David, every one of them, who asked for mercy got mercy. Every one of them. Is there anyone here that wants mercy from God? Do you need mercy? Have you asked for it? I've told this story before. I've probably told it here. But I'm going to tell it again. It'll do us good, and the young ones, it'll do you good. You listen to this. It's a true story. Janet and I were dating. I was in college. It was summertime. We had a big conference. 
Went to the conference every day. After one of those evenings, we got in the car. She said, what's wrong? I said, why you ask that? She said, I know something's wrong. What's wrong? I said, well, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. From the time I've understood words, I've known the gospel. I never had to unlearn something that wasn't true. I, from the time I've understood words, I've understood the gospel. Up here, I understood it. I go to college. I could, I did, I mean, gosh, a 20-year-old, wet-behind-the-ears kid, smart-aleck kid. I could argue doctrine with anybody, and I did. I mean, I could argue doctrine with anybody. But I told her, I don't know God. I don't know Christ. And it's too late for me. I'm 20 years old. Been a rebel my entire life. Just a rebel. Will not accept God. Will not bow to Him. It's too late for me. I'm in trouble. Now, I didn't say it, but the thought crossed my mind, you better get away from me. Being tied to me is no good for you. And she looked at me like I had snakes coming out of my ears. And she said, well, Frank, have you ever asked for mercy? Have you ever asked for mercy? Lord's merciful. He's gracious. Have you ever asked him for mercy? He delights to show mercy to sinners. Have you ever asked? This man did. David said he did. He said, this poor man cried. The Lord heard him. He delivered him out of all his troubles. David had mercy on this man. He gave him bread and water. You know what that is. That's Christ, the bread of life. Christ, the water of life. He ate those things and his spirit came to him again. Well, that's a new birth. When did Christ give you life? When the Christ, the bread of life, Christ, the water of life, was preached to you. And they gave this man figs and raisins. They gave him those sweet things that taste so good. They gave him a little bit of dessert. That's the gospel. Our mouth is filled with good things. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the believer's soul is revived today. It's filled with those good things. And David asked this man, can you take me down this company? Now this fellow's useless. I mean, he's completely and utterly useless. David doesn't need him. When I was a boy, I used to love to watch The Lone Ranger. And on one of our channels, The Lone Ranger comes on periodically, and I watch it. And Janet watches it with me. She said, this is so awful. This is so, the acting's bad, the storyline, this is so awful. I still kind of like it, I suppose. And you know what the Lone Ranger can do? I mean across solid rock. He can track anybody. Well, I think David can do that too through the desert, don't you? David doesn't need this fella. But he uses him. He uses him to go to the camp of the enemy. Now, that's God's preachers. We are useless in ourselves. Completely and utterly useless. Just clay pots. But we have the priceless message of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Useless in ourselves, yet it pleased God to use preachers by the foolishness of preaching. It pleased him to save those that believe. That's who this man is. So, verse 16, when he had brought, them, brought him down, 
Behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoiled or anything they had taken to them. David recovered all. David won a great victory in a very great slaughter. And he recovered everything that the Amalekites took away. Everything. Danny, there wasn't a button missing off of a single shirt. David recovered all. And you know what that's a picture of. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he won a great victory in a very great slaughter at Calvary. In that slaughter, he led captivity captive. And Lord Jesus Christ recovered all. All. Now that encompasses more time than we've got. But let me give you seven things he recovered. First of all, Christ recovered his people. He recovered his bride. David recovered his wives. Christ recovered his bride. And not one of them is missing. He told the Father, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. They're all here. He said, Father, those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. Not one. He recovered his bride. Secondly, he recovered lost righteousness. We lost all righteousness in Adam. In Christ, that righteousness is restored. We are made the righteousness of God in him. Third, Christ recovered his people from the curse of the law. Sin shall no more have dominion over you. Why? You're not under the law. You're under grace. He delivered us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for them. Fourth, Christ recovered his people from condemnation. Adam put us in condemnation. Christ recovered us from that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Fifth, Christ recovered lost life for his people. In Adam, we died. In Christ, we're given eternal life. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. He recovered all. Sixth, Christ recovered lost fellowship with the Father. Adam had fellowship with God. God came to Adam in the cool of the day and walked with Adam through his garden. Can you imagine? When Adam sinned, he lost that. He lost that fellowship with God. In Christ, that fellowship is restored. What's the believer told? Come boldly. Come confidently to the throne of grace crying, Abba, Father. He's our Father. We have fellowship with the Father. And seventh, Christ recovered the lost presence of God. Adam lost the presence of God, thrust out of the garden with a flaming sword that turned every way to keep him from coming back into the presence of God. 
The believer in Christ has the Spirit, the presence of God and the person of His Spirit right now. We have the earnest of the inheritance. And one day, we'll have that presence physically, eternally. And it will be because the Lord Jesus Christ recovered all. In Adam, we're like the ashes of Ziklag, ruined, ruined by the fall, born in this world with nothing, just dead. In Christ, we lack nothing. There is nothing lacking. He has made of us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The people of God lack nothing. Not one thing. Because Christ recovered all. That's a gospel worth preaching. A gospel worth believing in. All right. Well, Lord bless you.